Good morning, East Nazarene College campus, community. Man, you seem tired. <laughs> I'm so glad to be here. It's always a privilege, privilege to uh, address this community. Um, and I'm glad to be here because once I sat in where you're sitting right now and, uh, and listened to chapel speakers. So I will try to keep that in mind <laughs> as I proceed this morning. Well, I'm in the middle of a series called uh, Don't Worry, Trust Jesus at the Church. And so I thought that I would, I would try out Sunday's message on you first. And so you'll be guinea pigs this morning on Sunday's message. I'm calling it Don't Worry, Trust Jesus, the election edition. On Tuesday, as a nation will once again head to the polls to elect new leaders. In one of the and one of the most contentious campaigns in recent memory, as it comes to a close, maybe, hanging chads, there is so much fear, so much concern, so much frustration. I remember being here on the campus in 1988. I'm not that old. I was a child at the time. But in 1988, I was on the campus, and I remember the Friday before the election, much like today, we had a person from the community get up to speak in chapel. And some of you sitting here would remember this. The person got up and spoke in chapel and kind of took both of the candidates and sized them up and basically said, unless you voted for the candidate of his choice, you could not be Christian. Now, you can imagine how that kind of rode the campus that week. I won't do that. I promise you I won't do that today. Maybe you can imagine uh, what would happen in that scenario. I understand that a little bit more today than I did back in 1988 because I pastor what I call a purple church, a multi-ethnic, uh, multi-educational, uh, all kinds of different backgrounds from every stripe of life, a church in that way. I have very, very red Republicans I, in my church. I have very, very blue Democrats in my church, and I have very, very gray independents in my church all coming together in unity to be the church in Annandale, Virginia, a suburb right outside of Washington, D.C. Let me tell you why I call it a purple church. I call it a purple church because when you bring all those people together with all of, and from all of those walks of life, with all of those different ideologies and beliefs and things that they're passionate about, there is a, there's a, there is a chance that things could go horribly, horribly wrong. And, and it's my job as their pastor to help them exegete the culture that's going on all around them. It's my job to help them understand the place that they've been called to love, to love, to serve, and to care. Here's the problem. As I've looked at this campaign season, and as I've looked at the things that have gone on, as I've looked at social media, as I've listened to some of the conversations in my church, what I've discovered is the church that you, that, that's supposed to be, the, the place, the, the, the institution, the organism, as I could say, that brings people together, seems to have taken the very size, seems to have split right down the middle, seems to have taken both of the parties and sides that we see in our culture. Instead of, instead of transforming the culture, it seems to me that the church has been squeezed into the world's mold. 
So as I've thought about that and I've thought about how I might address that, I've been drawn to a passage found in one of the synoptic gospels, the gospel of Mark, uh, chapter 12. Let me read the passage for you. They sent some Pharisees and followers of Herod to bait him, hoping to catch him saying something incriminating. They came up and said, teacher, we know that you have integrity. Let me start right there. Whenever they come to you and set you up this way, something's going to happen. You're being set up. Whenever they say, teacher, teacher, we know you're a person of integrity, that, that, that you are indifferent to public opinion. Don't pander to your students. It's a setup. Watch out. It's a setup. And teach the ways of the God, God accurately. Tell us, is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? He knew it was a trick question and said, why are you playing these games with me? Bring me a coin and let me look at it. They handed him one. This engraving, who does it look like? And whose name is on it? Caesar, they answered. And Jesus said, give Caesar what is his and give God what is his. And their mouths hung open, speechless. I love the context of this particular scripture because the context is giving money and taxes. Jesus replied, it's okay to give to Caesar what belongs to him, but don't be giving Caesar what belongs to God. You can pay your taxes you can do your civic duty in voting and, and, and all those different things, but make sure that you give the love of your heart, soul, mind, and strength to me. See, this response of Jesus, it, it revolves around the concept of image and ownership. Who do you belong to? So he takes the denarius, he takes the denarius, which is literally a day's wages, and Jesus asked about whose image, whose image is on this. There's no problem given to that person what belongs to them. But give to me what belongs to me. Now Jesus doesn't say this, but the, the, his point, it, it, it kind of alludes, it kind of goes back to a passage found in Genesis 1, 26 to 27. You know the passage. God spoke. Let us make human beings in our image Make them reflecting our nature so they can be responsible for the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, the cattle, and yes, earth itself, and every human, and every, excuse me, every animal that moves on the face of the earth. So God created human beings. He created them, God, like reflecting his nature. He created them male and female. Coins bear the image of the emperor, but humans bear the image of God. So give to the emperor what is his and give to God what is his. So I've been thinking in this election season, season what belongs to the emperor and what belongs to God? And do, do, does our behavior, does our discussions, do our debates and our, and our arguments about this happening in our country, do they reflect whose image that we have been made in? See, Jesus was saying, you can participate, please participate, but make sure your participation is marked by the Imago Dei in whose image you were created. See, Jesus wasn't saying it wasn't right to give taxes. He wasn't, he wasn't doing away with the taxation system or anything like that. 
He wasn't saying that, you know, money is not good. He wasn't talking about all that. What he was saying is, what about your priorities? I would like to say that the same admonition applies to another one of our citizen responsibilities. This idea of voting, this idea of elections and participation in government. Could it be that Jesus would say, give the vote, give your vote to the candidate of your choice, but your heart, your life, your passions and allegiance belong to me. So, so I've checked on social media. I'm, I'm a social media person, so I go on social media a whole bunch. My daughter's had to teach me a lot of it. But I go on a whole bunch, and you know, uh, you know when my age group got on Facebook that we ruined it for everybody, you know? So, so I know you guys have moved past Facebook to Snapchat and Tumblr and, and, all, and some of the ones that I don't even know yet. I need to be taught. I know you've moved out. But as I've, as I've scoured social media, what I found, here's what I found. Uh, uh, what I found is... This idea of the image of God residing in us and us acting out of the fact that we're made in his image seems to be missing. As I've seen and read and been witnesses to good friends having knocked down, drag out fights, unfriending battles that happen on, on social media, meltdowns and different things like that with this election season, I have seen people almost go to blows into churches in churches about what's going on in our society right now. And I think this is kind of funny. All over an election? As if this is the first and the last great election? Be careful when people tell you that this is the greatest election or this is the great election because they said the same thing to me back in 1988 when I was sitting in your seats. We're going to get past this election. We're going to be all right. There's a warning that's inherent in Jesus' reply to the question about taxes. Here it is. Be careful to give the right things to the right people. Be careful to give the right things to the right people, the right efforts, the right agendas. This is not the first time that Jesus gives this warning. Remember statements like this, don't throw your pearls before swines. Remember statements like this, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Remember statements like this, you cannot serve two masters. What was Jesus saying? He was saying if we're not careful, if we're not careful, we will surrender that which is sacred, that which is eternal, that which is most important to that which is temporal and here today and gone tomorrow. Let me be clear about something. Part of your civic and even Christian duty may be to vote, to, as it were, give to Hillary Clinton, Donald Trump, Gary Johnson, Jill Stein, and countless other down-ballot candidates and their platforms and ideologies, your vote, your time, and maybe even your resources, but your life belongs to God. So I believe that sometimes we, in the heat of the battle, misplace our priorities when I was a student here, I traveled for ENC for um, four years on fusion groups. I, I think that's what you call them now. We called them summer ministry teams back in the day. And I traveled for four years, and one of my responsibilities for two years was to go to uh, the New England District Church in Bermuda. Now, uh, maybe you don't get to do that these days, but somebody had to do it, and I was glad to do it. And so two times in the years I was there, we went to Bermuda, took the trip to Bermuda. In fact, my first plane ride was to Bermuda, and the plane kind of tipped on the side in the wind and took a plunge down, and I thought for sure I was going to die in the Bermuda Triangle my first flight. But that didn't happen. 
And then on that trip to Bermuda, one of the things we were able to do, we, we were able to minister uh, in school, in schools. And so they had these uh, public schools, and they would allow us to come minister because they, they allowed ministry in schools. And, uh, and so we were there, and we were ministering, and we were singing our songs, and I spoke, and the whole works like that. And I noticed the headmistress, or the principal of the school, she was a tough cookie. And she had things set up so there was a time and a place for everything that was happening at that school. And so she had this, she had this idea that there was a time to be quiet and listen and a time to have fun. And after our presentation was over, she got up and she said, I see that some people have misplaced their times. She said, because some of you were laughing and joking and having a great time when you should have been quiet. So let me tell you what I'm going to do. When you should be outside at recess laughing and joking, I'm going to bring you to my office and you're going to be quiet because you've misplaced your times. It's interesting. Sometimes I believe that as a people of God, as a church, we've misplaced our priorities or we've misplaced our times. When we should be those who are standing up and saying God is on the throne. When we should be those who continue to believe with all our heart that, that a president does not make the world and a president is not going to end the world. When we should be the people who say God is, control, is in control and God is sovereign and God is in charge. Sometimes we run around like chicken little with our heads up in the sky, saying the sky is falling. See, some of, ourselves have, some of us have allowed ourselves to be seduced by the same predicament as those young children in Bermuda. How else do you explain the rift in the church, families, friends, neighbors over an election? How else do you explain the issue-oriented debates that have turned bitter and nasty? How else do you explain the partisan tearing of the fiber of the church. When Jesus' encouragement to us is that, that people would know us by our love and by our unity, but instead we become divided by faith. We become well-practiced in this art of political and personal destruction. You don't have to take my word for it. Just go on Facebook. There's some well-meaning pastors on Facebook that will destroy the candidate that they're not voting for. I've seen some of your Facebook posts and you've done the same exact thing. So I want to pause and make something clear before I finish this thing out. I have no partisan agenda this morning. My perspective is there aren't many good choices in this election. But here's what I want you to know. I refuse to buy into an agenda-based fear-mongering that's taking place on all sides of the political aisle. Especially when Jesus says that perfect love casts out fear. I refuse to accept that if I vote for one candidate or the other, that somehow the Supreme Court is going to go down in flames and the nation is going to be destroyed. I refuse to vote for a political party simply based on their platforms and promises, be they pro-life or pro-choice, gay rights or gun rights. I refuse to be played by the political operatives, lobbies, packs, or movements whose main goal is to retain power when Jesus said, if you want to be great in the kingdom of God, you should be a servant. Now let me say this. I have opinions about all the stuff that I spoke of above. But my opinion is not based on fear. 
that reduces my vote to a simplistic equation that says A plus B must equal C. So here's my suggestion for us during these times that we just continue to be the church. That we continue to be the church. That we be the church. That we continue to be the church as we consider how to vote this season. Remembering that our allegiance, allegiance belongs to God. That we be the church as we debate, as we discuss, as we support and defend the causes, issues, platforms of our choice. That we be the church even as we protest. That we be the church. That we be the church and pray for our enemies and those who speak against us. That we be the church and we show that life, all life has value inside of the womb and outside of the womb. That we simply be the church. That we be the church by taking, as Romans 12, 1 says, our everyday ordinary life, our walking around, going to work, going to school, going to classes, life, and present it before God as an offering. Because when we're the church, we bear witness to the Mago Day in us and make a clear distinction that we don't belong to Caesar, but that we belong to God. When we're the church, we acknowledge our role and our responsibility to be ambassadors of a sovereign kingdom that's on the move. When we're the church, we're passionate about being about things that seek justice in all of its forms. When we're the church, we're not just simply sitting by an idol. We don't we don't have our action just be about what happens on social media, but we get involved in serving and giving and going to those who are left out, those who are looked over, those who have no voice. See, because politicians come and go, and political agendas will rise and fall, and cultural issues change. Of that, you can be certain, but that which will last is the kingdom of God breaking forth in the world through the church. That which is eternal is your life lived out through the power of the Spirit of God. The way you love, the way you serve, the way you give, the way you go makes a difference. So let me ask you a question. Whose image? Whose image? Will you give to Caesar what is Caesar's and give to God what is God? See, I'm, I'm convinced that you're not here by accident, that you're here for such a time as this, that God has something that he wants to do in and through you. And I'm also convinced that you will bear out the image that you pay allegiance to. I'm convinced by that. And it seems like to me, no matter what happens to this place politically, when we are the church, we're going to be all right. So let me say this to you. The same God who's on the throne today will be on the throne. He'll be on the throne on Wednesday, the 9th. And he'll be on the throne on Friday, the 20th, Inauguration Day. And he'll be on the throne every day after for four years. And he'll be on the throne after that. And here's my prayer, that he won't just be on the throne, but he will be on the throne of your heart 
as well. So whose image? Whose image is directing your life? Who are you giving allegiance to this morning? Not a hard question. Just take a simple look at life. See, I'm discovering anew these days that we reflect the image of the one in whom we pledge our allegiance. So whose image is it? Would you pray with me? God, thank you so much for this day. And we're all created in the image, in your image. The Mago Day resides in us. But Father, I guess my question this morning is do we recognize and have we paid allegiance to the one whose image we were created in? So Father, I pray that you would help this community, this community here in Wollaston on the south shore of Boston, that you would help this community be the church. The church that you've promised that you would put together, a church so expansive, a church so powerful that not even the gates of hell would be able to come against it. Father, for us, collectively, it means something, but it also means something for us individually. And in these moments, Father, I pray that your Holy Spirit does what it does best, that you would challenge us individually on what it means for us to pledge allegiance to you, God, the one who's sovereign, the one who's in control. And our Father, I realize that you work through us, and so here's the question. What are you asking us to do? What marching orders are you giving us in these days, in this particular postmodern, post-Christian culture in which we find ourselves? Help us, Father, to be the church. Help us to understand that we might give our votes to Caesar, but our hearts belong to you. In your name we pray. Amen and amen.